Good morning to each one of you. It's a blessing to be here and to see each of you here this morning. Uh, the subject I chose to look at this morning is the power of God in the lives of His people. And when I started into this study, um, I very soon became overwhelmed with uh, the amount of Scripture and examples and principles throughout Scripture related to this subject that I, I uh, very quickly realized I bit off way more than I can present here this morning. But I would like to, to draw your minds um, for a bit to the power of God. Now, already uh, your minds are turning. Uh, could you share with me what you're thinking when you think of the power of God? What comes to mind? Just speak up. Okay, Amos says the greatest thing available. What else? Okay, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, being delivered and throughout their journeys. Yes. Creation. Yes. Healing. Conversion. Yeah. Sinners into saints. I think uh, as we think of the power of God, I think we could kind of divide it into two general categories somewhat. The first uh, category would be uh, creation and the ongoing uh, power of God through nature. Uh, you know, there's earthquakes, there's hurricanes, there's tornadoes, thunderstorms, there's flood, there's fire. Uh, you know, the, the, the things of nature that, that are on display, the, the wonders of, you know, the stars and the planets and so forth. Secondly, uh, God's care for his people, the power of God working in your heart and mine and every individual throughout the world that is willing to allow him the protection, the redemption, transformation, power over sin and death and fear. These are all demonstrations of the power of God. Let's look at that first general category first, creation. Uh, six, the six-day creation story is, is an astounding display of the power of God. Uh, Ken Ham put out a book recently. Uh, I just got one in the mail here recently. Uh, did anybody else get that little booklet, uh, The Gospel Reset? Maybe he sent it just to pastors. I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting little book, and... And uh, I won't go into detail, but it generally what he's the argument he's making is that uh, the Western world for years had a Jewish mindset when Paul talked about uh, the Jews stumbled at the cross, uh, the Greeks just the whole thing was foolishness to them, and and uh, but the Jews had a they had a they knew what. They knew who God was. They knew what sin was. But somehow 
their Savior dying on a cross uh, made them stumble. When, when Paul talked to the Greeks, he had to explain to them who God was. He had to explain to them what sin was. And, you know, they had many gods, and they didn't have a real concept of sin. And, and uh, he's saying that the Western world is now becoming much more Greek in their mindset than Jewish. And we have, as Christians, we have to adapt to that reality as we uh, evangelize those around us. And, and we must wake up as a church and teach our people uh, that it does matter what you believe about Genesis and the creation and so forth. If, if you doubt God's word when he says he created the world in six days, then you cast a shadow on all of Scripture and everything that he says about Christ. And so, so creation is important, and to understand that the power of God could and did uh, create the world in six days. It's a, it's a book worth reading if you can get your hands on it. I'll ask me, you can use mine. You know, the, the world was created and, and, and it continues to this day. Is, is that, isn't that amazing? You know, how that just thousands of years, not millions, thousands, thousands of years. John 1, verse 3, uh, John says this, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's, that's the way John describes creation. Paul in 1 Corinthians, in uh, Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That's saying a lot. That's describing the power of God in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and how involved he was in all creation of everything. The things we see and know and touch and feel and the things that are in the spirit world. Jesus, when he was here on earth, it took his disciples a while to capture this whole concept of the power of God. Um, in Luke chapter 8, we have this story of uh, his disciples being on the Sea of Galilee, and, and Jesus is there in the ship uh, sleeping. And the disciples go to him. There's a storm comes up, and, and these, these fishermen, these weathered fishermen, are scared. And they're, they're uh, planning to die there unless something changes. And so they go to him and they say, Master, we perish. And uh, Wendy probably remembers this. Uh, many years ago, maybe 25 or so, uh, we were at a, a Wycliffe Bible translation banquet. And I remember Wendy being there because we talked about it. Uh, the translator that was there that night was describing how in Mexico he was translating scripture into a, a dialect there. And they had the word we, they had an inclusive and an exclusive term for the word we. 
So like if I say, uh, if I go to my wife and say, we are going to town, if I mean myself and my boys are going to town, you're staying at home, but we are going to town, I would use the exclusive term we. If I would go to my wife and say, we are going to town and she's going with me, I would use the inclusive term we. So when, when Jesus' disciples went to him and said, Master, we perish, how would you translate the word we? Were the disciples saying, Jesus, we're, you're not going to perish, but we are. Or would you say, Jesus, you and us are going to perish because this is a bad storm. What would you do? Somebody else, what would you do? Which word would you use? Inclusive or exclusive? Or what determines which one you would use? Inclusive? Okay, why would you use inclusive? Mm -hmm. So we, we have to determine what their concept of Jesus was at that point. And this translator used the exclusive because he felt that at, or no, inclusive, I'm, I'm sorry, he used inclusive, yes, yeah. He used inclusive because at that point they saw him as a man. Yeah. But I think minutes later they probably would have used the exclusive. <laughs> the disciples would have. When he stood up there and said, peace be still, and the wind stopped and the waves stopped, and they saw wind and waves obeying him, all of a sudden he was a whole different person. They said, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the wind and the water, and they obey him. They realized they were dealing with someone very different than themselves. This is someone who commands nature, and nature obeys him. Can you think of times, uh, and I'm looking for a response here, can you think of times in throughout history where... Uh, the norm of creation was altered by God. You know, God created things and things follow a normal pattern from the beginning of time to now in, in many, many ways. But there were times throughout Scripture where God steps in and alters the norm. What are some of those examples? Okay, you shut the mouth of the lions. Yes. The what? Oh, the flood. Yes. The flood in Noah's time. Yes. Yes. The resurrection. Yes, dividing the Red Sea, dividing the Jordan River, and walking through, not knee-deep in mud, on dry ground. Yeah, yeah, he made the sun stand still for Joshua. He turned the sundown back for Hezekiah. He 
the plagues of Egypt are a wonderful uh, example of God reaching in there and, and changing nature. Axe heads floating, Aaron's rod budding, uh, Jonah being swallowed by a whale. You know, very abnormal things happening by the power of God in the lives of his people, uh, protecting them through nature. Now, I'd like to transition a bit to, to the second part of, uh, I had a little trouble reading that clock back there. Uh, is it 11, 11.28? Uh, I may check on you later, because uh, I would hate to have the food get cold. Uh, transition to the second category, you know, God working in your heart and mine in the lives of his people. And I, there's a scripture in Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4, that I think makes this transition for us. Uh, the psalmist says this, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, just think about that, fingers. He's not talking about, you know, fingers. Work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him. The psalmist is saying, I, I look at the creation, the vastness of, uh, you know, the, the stars, the moon, and all that up there. And then I think of we little me. And, and you, you care about me. You're mindful of me. And you come and you visit me. You want to talk to me. That did something something for the psalmist, and that should do something for you and I here this morning when we consider that this almighty, powerful God cares about you, cares about what's going on in your life. Let's think a bit of the, the power of God protecting his people. In uh, Second Kings, we have this story, and for sake of time, we won't read the story, but you're familiar with it. Uh, there was uh, the king of uh, Assyria was having a problem. Every time he would go into battle, uh, the the king of Israel was right there to meet him, and he he'd sneak over this way and he'd sneak around that way. But every time he was there to meet him, and finally he went to his his people and he said, you know, somebody is uh, telling the king of Israel what I'm doing. I have a mole here in, in, my, in my inner circle, and you're, you're letting him know my plans. Who is it? What's going on here? And one of the fellows spoke up and said, hey, it, it's none of us. There's, there's a man in Israel, there's a prophet in Israel, can tell the king what you think about when you're laying in your bed. And so the king said, well, let's go get that man. And so he set about to get that man. And they found out where he was, and they surrounded the city. And that's where we'll start reading. The next morning, the servant, uh, Elijah's servant gets up, and he says, when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, 
For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire around about Elisha. That, that scripture blessed my heart again, how so many times in life we focus on the fearful things when we allow God to open our eyes there is more power on our side than on the other. And so that is, that is so comforting. Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God is looking to show himself strong on our behalf. Psalm 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. That's our God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have another uh, interesting story in Acts 23. Um, you know, God had, I had mentioned this uh, was it last weekend when Larry was here? Uh, Paul, the Lord came to uh, to an angel, came to Paul when he was captured there in Jerusalem and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. You're going to make it to Rome. And the, the whole time God was working this all out, he was, he was working with this little boy that whatever he was doing, sneaking around in the bushes or however, he found out the plan of these 40 men to kill Paul. The power of God is not held back. He can use little boys if he needs to to stop armies. And uh, God, God's power in the lives of his people is real, and, and it works. Let's think a bit of God's power over sin. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 1, 2, and 3 says this. It's talking about God and, and his uh, work on behalf of his people. It says, God in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. He's bringing in the power of God in creation. And then he goes on who being the brightness of his glory, the expressed image of his person, upholdeth all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. This same power that created the world has now come and purged us of our sins. Each individual that comes to him can have their sins purged. By this power. Acts 10, verse 38. Power over, over sin and over uh, disease and oppression. Uh, Luke says it this way. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good 
and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The power of God in the life of Christ here on this earth, freeing people from the power of the devil. Power over death. John 10, 17 and 18. Therefore, doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment I have, I'm reading that verse twice, I'm sorry. <laughs> I must have hit paste twice. But the, the power of God, he can lay his life down, he can take it up again. That's, that's that resurrection power that can, that can bless your life and mine. Power over fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, we can be so fearful. Uh, I can be fearful. Uh, you know, we can fear the unknown. We can fear uh, the known. <laughs> we can fear a lot of things. We can fear people. Um, I remember here, here's some time ago, I got a phone call, and all of a sudden, my heart started throbbing wildly. Uh, it was fear. There was fear in, in my heart. Uh, the power of God can overcome that fear in our lives, and it takes a yieldedness to Him to, to experience that. The power of redemption. Isaiah who is known for his, uh, his way with words, uh, says it this way, The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Uh, you know, you read a little bit ago about creation was the work of God's fingers. But here Isaiah is saying that God made bare his holy arm to, to save his people, to, uh, to bring salvation to, to you and I. The same God, the same power. When, when God was about to bring Jesus into the world, he goes to Mary. And Mary says, you know, I'm using my own words here. She's saying, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm willing, but <laughs> this, this can't happen because I'm, I'm not married. And the angel says this, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. What? What a, a thing to say to this, this young damsel. The power of God, the almighty power of God is going to make it happen. Yeah, it's not possible, but it's going to happen. 
And she had enough faith to believe in that power of God and to experience it in her life. What, what a blessed young lady. And what a blessing it was in her life to, to be part of that wonderful uh, reality. Paul in Romans gives this testimony. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul believes that this power of God could be experienced by every individual, regardless of background, regardless of sin, regardless of anything. He, he calls himself the chiefest of sinners because he persecuted the church. And he's saying, this power of God can save anyone and everyone that believeth. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross. So there's this saving power, but then there's also the transforming power, taking this, this sinful human being that has the faith to believe and then transforming them into a new creature. We see that so clearly in, in the life of Paul. I'll, I'll just read a few things that Scripture has to say about Paul and, and his salvation experience. Uh, like we just mentioned, he was persecuting the church. And I think uh, we were talking about conscience in Sunday school class. I think he was doing it with somewhat of a clear conscience. That seems a little bit unimaginable, but I think there was a certain amount of uh, him feeling like he was doing what was right. And here in, in Acts 9, the Lord uh, is is tapping on Ananias' shoulder and saying, you need to go and uh, meet with Paul, or Saul at that point. And this is what the Lord says. Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. So this man who was persecuting the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is now praying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Ananias argues a little with God and says, now wait a minute, I, I know that man. I've heard about that man and it would be a very risky thing for me to, to go and walk right into his presence. He'll, he'll throw me in prison. And then the Lord comes back and says, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He has turned from a persecutor into one who is going to spread the gospel for me. Transformation. Paul speaks of himself in, in Acts 26 and, and this call of God on his life. And he says this, God has called me to open the eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. 
Paul is saying, God has called me to be a message bearer of this power, this power that transformed my life, and it can transform yours. And, and from that time on, Paul uh, was steadfastly committed to that message, and, and he did not waver. He, he preached that till, till his death. In Galatians, uh, he says it this way, But they that heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preaches the faith which he once destroyed. That's how Paul described his experience. One time he persecuted, now he's preaching that faith. That's the transforming power of God that transformed Paul's life and can transform our lives. Let's think a bit about some of the things God wants to change in our hearts and in our lives. The whole thing of forgiveness. The power to forgive. Acts 7, verse 60, is talking about uh, Stephen stoning. And... Uh, you know, when you think about here in our culture, stoning uh, doesn't happen. And it's a little hard to imagine it happening. But this is a real thing in, in some parts of the world and throughout history. Um, you know, if, if everybody in this room had a stone and decided Rich is a bad guy, uh, what chance would Rich have? Uh, not much. Uh, stones, stones can be damaged, and it's a little hard to imagine that I could take a stone and throw it at Derek and not think about that it might hurt. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just how could you forgive somebody that's stoning you? But here, this is what he says, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's last words were pleading with God to, to forgive these people that stoned the life out of his body. That's the power of God, to be able to do that. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think if we stop and ponder for a bit, most times when people hurt or offend us, they don't know really what they're doing. Now, you, that could be debatable. You know, people do at times intentionally hurt people, but I don't think they're fully comprehending. The, the end result. I know they're not fully comprehending what all is entailed here and what is going to be the final outcome of all of life. And so I think that should help us in our ability to forgive when we realize that, that there's, these people don't really know, don't really know what they're doing. 
we should also ponder that when we hurt other people and when we offend other people, we don't know really what all we're doing. And that should make us more careful, ponder before we do whatever we do. Certainly, stoning someone or crucifying someone, uh, you have to know that hurts. <laughs> you have to know that hurts. But, uh, like I said, we don't know what we're doing. And things are a lot less hurtful <laughs> than stoning and crucifying uh, are done out of a heart that doesn't know for sure what they're doing. In Psalm 103, 14, the psalmist says this, talking about God. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembereth that we are dust. We're talking about the power of God in the lives of his people here this morning. And God is very keenly aware that he made you and I out of dust. We are frail earthen vessels. And that his power is uh, the only thing that is going to make the difference in our hearts and lives. And we need to realize that we are feeble earthen vessels, and we need that power. We desperately need that power. 2 Corinthians 4.16, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's a reminder for us and a reminder for us about others. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, and it's the power of God that makes the difference. It's not something we do on our own, not something others can do on their own. It's only by the power of God. 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of this power of God in our hearts and lives, make the difference. In Acts 1, 8, as Jesus was leaving this earth, he told his followers this, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The power of God is promised to you and I. In Romans 6, Paul uh, reminds the church at Rome that this power comes as we yield ourselves. We can yield ourselves to sin and to Satan, or we can yield ourselves to righteousness and to the power of God. Paul reminds uh, Timothy, and this is a reminder that 
I would like us to ponder seriously here this morning. He says of this certain group of people, he's saying they have the form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. And Paul tells Timothy, turn away, turn away from those people. May that never be said of you and I, that we, we have a form of godliness, but we're denying the power, the power that is there to, to live in victory, to have that transforming experience, to give us the ability to, to um, have power over fear and to love and to forgive. Are we denying that power? that God has available to us. For a closing verse, Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That's that's the kind of power I want. That's the kind of power all of us want that can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And we can ask an awful lot, can't we? We ask an awful lot of our God. But he's saying, I can do way more than anything you can think of or ask. We must yield ourselves to letting that power work in our hearts.